Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. John, chapter 21. And I'll read verses 15 through 17. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. This past week, I was able to be at the pastor's conference in Montville, New Jersey, and I intend to give a little more report on Wednesday evening at the prayer meeting, and we can pray for some of the different churches that were represented there. Pastor Dave Chansky gave two messages on this passage here in John chapter 21, and so I am working from my notes this morning from the conference and doing the best I can to put these things into my own words and my own way of saying these things, but there were some important lessons that we can learn from the passage in John chapter 21 here this morning. The central theme here is, of course, love to Christ, which is what Peter is questioned by the Lord three times concerning his love to Jesus. This is the third resurrection appearance after the resurrection of Jesus to his disciples. On this occasion, earlier in the chapter, seven men, seven of the disciples went out on a fishing expedition, and it was unsuccessful. And then Jesus met them on the shore and had breakfast with them after the breakfast. Then Jesus begins with these three questions to Peter. Jesus here asked Peter three times, do you love me? And the three times in which he asked the question correspond to the three times in which Peter had denied Jesus. So what Peter is doing here on this occasion is he is dealing with Peter's sin of his denial. It was a very grievous and heavy sin that he had committed, and it had not yet been dealt with. Peter, Jesus had appeared to the disciples on previous occasions and spoken to all of them in general, peace be with you. And he had also recommissioned them, commissioned them in chapter 20 of John's gospel when he breathed on them the Holy Spirit and sent them out. But he had not yet interacted specifically with Peter alone to deal conclusively, finally, with his sin of his denial. And that's what is taking place here. In verse 15, he asks him 
Do you love me? Simon, son of John, he says, do you love me more than these? And what he means there is, Peter, do you love me more than these other of my disciples love me? Do you love me more than they love me? And he is asking this question because of what Peter had said in the upper room on the night of Jesus' arrest. And it would be helpful for us to turn to that passage, perhaps in the Gospel of Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14 and verse 29. We'll begin reading at verse 27. Mark 14 and verse 27. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. So Jesus had quoted the Old Testament scripture there in verse 27. And it, it was written and so it had to be fulfilled. The scripture could not be broken. But despite what Jesus had just said, we see what Peter says here in verse 29. But Peter said to him, even though all will fall away, yet I will not. Even though the scripture has said this and the scripture must be fulfilled, yet it will not happen to me. And I am strong and I am brave and I am self-sufficient in myself. And I am even one of those who is stronger than all the rest here. And he is saying in effect in verse 29, Lord, I love you more than all of these. Even though all may fall away, yet I will not. I love you more than them. And so this is the reason why Peter or Jesus asked him the question, do you love me? more than these. Now we can see the denial of Jesus or the, not Peter's denial of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke chapter 22. And we'll turn there for just a moment to Luke chapter 22. And here We'll begin reading at verse 31. And Jesus here warns Peter, Simon, of what is to come, Satan's assault of him. Verse 31, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and you when once you have turned again, strengthen your brethren. And he said to him, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. So despite Jesus' warning to Peter in verse 31 that Satan with his power was coming upon him to sift him like wheat, a very fierce and aggressive temptation of Peter. And despite the fact that Jesus tells him in verse 32, the only way of help and deliverance for Peter was for the prayer of Jesus. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Yet still, Peter is so self-confident that he says, Lord, with you, 
I am ready to go both to prison and to death. Satan will not overcome me. It's as if he says that in verse 33. I do not really need your prayers as much as you might think I do. Lord Jesus, I am able in my own strength to go to prison and to death. And we know how grievously Peter fell and was later convicted in himself by his own sin. If we turn down to chapter 22 here to verse 60 of this chapter. We see the second denial of Jesus, verse 60. And Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, a cock crowed. So there is the third denial of Jesus by Peter. And then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before a cock crows three times, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So Peter denied Jesus three times. When Jesus looked at Peter, then Peter realized his great sin that he had committed, and he went out and wept bitterly. It was a very sorrowful and grievous experience, an emotional denial and a weeping of Peter bitterly by Jesus look upon him. If we turn back to John chapter 21. And so what Jesus does in asking Peter three times, do you love me, is we see down in verse 17, he brings Peter to grief. Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? This was Jesus' intention to bring him to this emotional intensity. And so that Peter would be grieved because Peter had exercised great emotional intensity when he vowed that he would not deny the Lord and he would go to prison and to death with him. And then there was emotional intensity when Peter wept bitterly. And now Jesus deals with Peter's sin of denying him and brings him to a point of emotional intensity once again. So what we have here in these three verses is Jesus' reproof of Peter, or calling him to repentance, and then we also have Jesus' restoration of Peter and restoring him back into his mission as an apostle of Christ. Three times Peter denied him. Three times Jesus presses him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? We notice in verse 15, he says, do you love me more than these? More than, do, you, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? And, and then we notice that after Peter says to him, Lord, you know that I love you. And there is an apparently a repentance in Peter's mind that he was better than the rest, or he loved Jesus more than the rest. So then Jesus drops that point in the second and the third question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, son of John, again, do you love me? And so he does not press any further, do you love me more than these? 
It is a humbling, it was a humbling experience for Peter to have Jesus ask him these three times in the presence of the other disciples, do you love me? Jesus is asking him, do you sincerely love me? Do you genuinely have love for me? We can imagine a wedding and Pastor Chansky made this comparison. If you were at a wedding and the bride and the groom were in front of the people at the wedding, the witnesses of the wedding and the pastor turned to the groom and said, do you love her? Do you love the bride? And then he said, yes, I do. And then a second time he asked him, do you love, do you really love the bride? And the groom would say, yes, I do, a second time. But then a third time he would ask him, do you really have love for the groom, for the bride? And so it would bring the groom to a sense of grief because he had to be questioned these three times concerning his love. And this is the same thing that happens here with Peter. Now, in the first two questions of Jesus, Jesus uses the word agape for love. There are two words in this passage for love. One is agape and the one is filio. And in the first two questions of Jesus, in verse 15, Jesus uses the word agape. Simon, son of John, do you agape love me more than these? And then again, in the second uh, question, in verse 16, Simon, son of John, do you agape love me? Now, in both responses of Peter in those verses, Peter uses the word filio. And he says in verse 15, yes, Lord, you know that I filio love you. And again in verse 16, yes, Lord, you know that I filio love you. Then we come to the third question of Jesus in verse 17, Simon, son of John. Now Jesus uses the word filio that Peter had used in the first two responses. Simon, son of John, do you filio love me? And then Peter says again, Lord, you know that I filio love you. So some have thought that there is a difference between these two words. Agape is a higher, a superior, deeper kind of love. Filio is a lesser and inferior kind of love. And so some have said, well, in the first uh, two questions, Jesus is saying, do you agape love me? And then all Peter can do is say, Lord, I only filio love you. I do not agape love you. I do not have that higher love for you. I only have the inferior love for you, a filio love for you. And then finally, uh, Jesus finally says in the third question, do you filio love me? Do you really have even that kind of a love for me? And some have said that there was a difference between these two kinds of love, but it is not really so if we look at the scriptures and especially at the way that John uses these two words in the Gospel of John. And we'll look at a couple of passages to show this. If we look back to John chapter 20 and verse 2. John chapter 20 and verse 
2. And this is after the resurrection here, Mary Magdalene. And so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Now that is John referring to himself here. Filio. The, the other disciple whom Jesus had a filial love for, for John, a filial love. But then if we turn back to chapter 13 of John's gospel, chapter 13 and verse 23. John 13 and verse 23, they were reclining at the table. And John writes in verse 23, there was reclining on Jesus' breast one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. That's the word agape. And John here refers to himself. So here we have in one verse, Jesus having a love, an agape love for John. And then in another verse, Jesus has the filial love for John. And it is not two different types of love here. It is the same love that comes from Christ to his disciple. Now we can find the same thing in regard to the Father for the Son. If we turn back to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 and verse 35. John chapter 3 verse 35. The Father loves the Son. Agape love. The Father has an agape love for his beloved son and has given all things into his hand. But then we can turn over to chapter 5 and verse 20. Chapter 5 and verse 20. And here it is, Jesus himself speaking of the Father's love. For the Father loves Filio, the Son, and shows him all things. So here we have the same thing where we have the Father has an agape love for the Son, and then Jesus speaks of the Father having this filial love for the Son. So there really is no difference. Here we have the highest love possible, the love of the Father for the Son, and either word could be used to describe that love of the Father for the Son. So there is not really any great distinction between these two words. It is true that agape love is the most common word used in the New Testament, but we cannot say that one is inferior and the other is superior. We may say this, that agape love is a love of concern and interest for the welfare of another, and filial love is a love of feeling. It is the word that is sometimes translated, he kissed him, kiss in the New Testament, the fellowship, the kiss of fellowship, but there really is no great and significant distinction the words are really synonyms. Filio maybe perhaps speaks of intimacy because it is sometimes translated of a love of a feeling and, a, and the kiss of love. We can turn back to John chapter 21. So when Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I have this filio love for you. What he is saying is, Lord, I, do, I desire to be with you above all others. 
and there is no one else that I wish to be with than with you. So Jesus wants Peter to face and deal completely with his sin on this occasion. And that is why Jesus brings him to that point of grief in verse 17. His sin had not been resolved. It had not been completely dealt with, and it needed to be so if he was to continue to serve Christ. Now we know that Peter was always one who was ready to do very great things for Jesus. Always full of outward zeal, always full of excitement. Seems that he was almost always the one who was first to speak on so many occasions in the gospel records. And Peter often thought he knew and he understood things better than others. Peter was very forthright. And we perhaps we might not accuse him of pride, but we would say that he was a man that seemed to be overfilled with too much confidence in himself. Perhaps that would be the best way to say it, too much confidence in himself. And so Jesus is humbling him here on this occasion. He is recommissioning him. He gives him this task at the end of each verse to shepherd his sheep. He says, tend my lambs. At the end of verse 15, he says, at the end of verse 16, he says, shepherd my sheep. And in verse 17, tend my sheep. He is really saying the same thing three times, but to be a shepherd was a contemptible task, a lowly type of work in the land of Israel. At that time, shepherds were humble and lower men of lower class in that society. And so Jesus is comparing the work that Peter will do to that task, and he is humbling him. And Peter desired to be so great, so strong, so brave, but Jesus gives him this lowly task. His purpose was, the purpose of Peter would not be in being great, but in being lowly and humble. His purpose in life would not be to be the bravest and the strongest and to show himself to be so, but his purpose, his identity in life would be to have a low and humble view of himself and of his work. Jesus challenged Peter three times here. Do you love me? Peter professes three times that he did love him. Jesus did not question his love. He restores Peter. What Jesus is doing here by asking him three times, do you love me, is he is eliciting from Peter that profession from Peter that, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He is seeking to draw that profession out from Peter three times to strengthen Peter's faith and his own conviction of his love to Christ. It is similar to what Jesus did with the Syrophoenician woman when she came to him and said, Lord, can you deliver my daughter from demon possession? And Jesus knew all along that she had great faith, but he rebuffs her time after time, and she continues to come and to request of him to heal her daughter 
of that demon possession. And then finally, Jesus says to her, great is your faith. May it be done for you as you wished. And her daughter was immediately healed. And so her faith was proven to be great, not only to, to herself and to the, all the others that were there. And Jesus knew that all along. The same thing here with Peter. Peter, Jesus is drawing out this confession of his love to Christ to strengthen him and to give him a greater sense of his own love as well, to prove it to Peter. And so he knew all things about Peter. He knew the worst about Peter, but he brought this up to help him and to strengthen him for the service that was to come. So there is an important lesson here that we learn, and it is that love to Christ is everything in the Christian life. There are many things that Jesus could have asked Peter on this occasion, but he asked him, do you love me? Because love to Christ is the central principle. It is the, that which is most important. And everything that we do in the Christian life should be out of our love to Jesus Christ. The apostle said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he spoke of all kinds of things that we might be able to do, but if we do not have love, then we are nothing. He said, if, he said, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, if I have great gifts, in other words, spiritual gifts, but I do not have love, and that is love to Christ and love to the brethren, he says, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, I am filled with all kinds of knowledge about all things. And if I have all faith so as to move mountains, I have great power, but I do not have love, he says, I am nothing. And if I give up all my possessions, if I am willing to sacrifice, to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So love is the first principle. Above all other things, love is most important. And it must be, love for Jesus must be the principle, the motive from our hearts out of everything that we do. Do we love Jesus in everything that we do? Do we see him as the great savior of sinners who came down from his throne in heaven and became a man like us in all things and suffered through this present life as we do and went to a cross to bear the penalty for our sins so that the wrath of God that is due to us for our sins fell upon Jesus at the cross. And he is risen, he has ascended, he has gone back into heaven and he is the Savior. He is our only hope. Do we love him? Do we love him for what he has done for us? And how faithful he is to us whenever we go to him confessing our sins. Do we love him? And then out of that love flows everything that we do in the Christian life. That's what is being taught here by Jesus to Peter in the presence of all of the rest of the disciples. He is to ascend soon back up in heaven. But love to him should be the motive that continues and guides all of their life. 
We need love to Jesus if we are to persevere in the Christian life. What is love? Love is a commitment. And love endures trials. Love is that commitment that passes through all kinds of troubles, woes, difficulties, and it continues to the very end. That's what love is. We live in a world that has all kinds of very low views of what love is, but that is essentially what love is. It is a commitment to endure all things to the end, and that is the principle, the only principle that can enable us to persevere in the Christian life to the very end. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, about the end times, he said that the love of men, many will grow cold. The love of many to him will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. In other words, but he who continues to have love for me will be enabled to endure to the end and will be saved. It is not right theology that makes us persevere. It is not all kinds of head knowledge that enables us to persevere. Many people have right theology and they fall away. Many people have head knowledge, but they depart from the faith and become apostates. It is love to Jesus that makes us and enables us to persevere. Paul said to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22. He said, if anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed, Maranatha. And in Revelation chapter 2, we have the church in Ephesus. And they had so many things that were right. They had their deeds. They had their toil, their perseverance. And they tested whether men were true or false. But then Jesus said, this I have against you, that you have lost, you have left your first love, which is love to Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14, Paul said, for the love of Christ controls us, constrains us, compels us in the Christian life. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So love for Christ is what should move us in everything that we do, in our witnessing of the gospel, in our obedience to the commands of Christ, in every sphere of our lives, in our home, in our workplace, in the church. Everything that we do should be motivated out of love to Christ. What is the first and the greatest of all the commandments? To love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And the second is like unto it, to love our neighbor as ourselves. So our obedience will flow out of love to Christ. Our fellowship with him should flow out of love to him. Do we keep our hearts in fellowship with him? Do we meditate upon the word of God? 
Do we spend time with him? How can we say that we spend time with him if we do not? How can we say that we love him if we do not spend time with him? In the word every day and in prayer. We cannot keep our hearts in love with Jesus, toward Jesus, unless we keep ourselves in the word. Where we see his love to us, he loves us first and then we love him. And we cannot say that we love him unless we spend time with him in private prayer. The hardest thing, the hardest thing in all of the Christian life is to keep our hearts with love to Christ in everything that we do. There are many outward duties that we can do, which are easy in comparison to the keeping of our own hearts in regard to love to Christ. So our fellowship with him will take pain and labor and effort in our devotions, continuing devotions to him. So Jesus is restoring Peter to his place as an apostle and as one who would be his servant in the future. But Jesus deals with Peter here in a deliberately painful way, brings him to that sense of grief in verse 17. And Jesus sometimes deals with us painfully when we have sinned against him and wandered from his paths. It is part of his discipline of us. He disciplines us as we read in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5, you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. If he loves us, he will discipline us in the Christian life when we stray from him. And that's what's taking place here with Peter. He disciplines us by the circumstances, by the trials and the troubles that he sends upon us, by the consequences of our sin, to remind us of our sin, to awaken us, from it and to turn back to him. Peter was grieved, heavily grieved in verse 17, and Jesus would have him to feel the weight of his sin. When we have sinned, we have no complaint. We can offer no complaint as to how God will deal with us because of our sins. We have no complaint against him for whatever way he would deal with us. But here we see that Jesus does deal with serious sins, but he deals with it in gentleness. These three questions of reproof here are really gentle questions that he asks Peter. And so Jesus deals with him in gentleness so that Peter can learn how to deal with gentleness with others when he must reprove them. 
Proverbs 15 and verse 1, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 14, We urge you, brethren, admonish the ruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. So there is this restoration of Peter by the gentleness of Christ, and we ourselves and Peter learn, must learn to deal gently with those who are caught in sins. But Christians do have trouble sometimes after we have sinned to fully realize forgiveness and the restoration of ourselves by the mercy of Jesus. Peter was here in a sense. He was still struggling with a guilty conscience and forgiveness did not come easy to him. If we look back in verse 12, Jesus said to them at the beach, he said, come and have breakfast. And then we read, none, none of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. No one said anything when Jesus made this remark. Peter didn't say anything. Why did Peter not say anything here on this occasion? One reason perhaps is that Peter was still struggling with a guilty conscience because his sin of denying Jesus, and Peter knew it, that his sin of denying Jesus had not yet been fully dealt with by Christ. And that's what takes place now in verses 15 through 17. Forgiveness of our sins, though it is a reality, and it is very certain, and it is very sure, yet the assurance of it, the felt sense of it in our souls, does not always come easy. When we sin, we may go to the Lord, yes, and we confess our sins, and he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it is true that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. But the felt sense of peace with God, the peace that surpasses all comprehension and guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, and the reality of a good conscience and walking in the light as he himself is in the light, the reality of the, in our souls of the grace, the felt presence of Christ with us, those things are not always restored immediately. Sometimes we must pass through darkness. Sometimes we must pass through a time of the convicting of our conscience. Sometimes we have troubles of soul after we have sinned. And that's what's taking place here with Peter as Jesus presses him these three times and brings him to the point of grief. Peter's sins were forgiven, yes, but his sense and reality of fellowship and communion with Christ had been wounded and it needed to be restored. And that's what's taking place here. Grace and forgiveness are real. And it was so real 
to Peter and so precious to him that he seemed to have some struggles to even believe that Jesus could forgive him of his grievous sins. The enjoyment of fellowship with God needs to be restored after we have sinned. Paul said to the Ephesians in chapter 4 and verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you have been sealed for the day of redemption. That's what our sin does, grieves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes and brings fellowship with Christ to us. And so if we grieve him by our sins, then we may pass through a time of struggle until we have been brought to the peace, the joy and the peace of believing in the gospel of Christ as we should. So Peter here is fully restored. And that's what Jesus is telling him at the end of each verse. Tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. He is telling Peter, you are being restored back to your position, to your dignity as an apostle of Christ. What we have here is a special assurance of Jesus to Peter that he was being forgiven, a special testimony to him in the presence of all the other disciples. And so how could Peter preach like he did in Acts chapter 2 unless he had a sense of being restored back to who he was as an apostle? And that's what Jesus is teaching him here. Jesus, he does, he does make us feel the guilt of our sins and convict us for a time, but he does not wish for us to stay in the guilt of our sins forever. We are pressed down at times because of them, but he does not wish us to remain there continuously. And not to always have a guilty conscience over our sins that would hinder us from serving him. The Apostle Paul was very guilty of many sins, but he received the forgiveness of Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13. He speaks of himself a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor. And he says the grace of the Lord Jesus was more than abundant. And the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. So God uses broken and restored vessels to do his work. Peter was broken. Peter is now restored. And he is sent now to do the Lord's work. He humbles us that he might make us useful. He does not humble us so that we are groveling in the dirt continuously but he humbles us to make us truly humble that he, we might be more useful to him. That's what happened here with Peter. Peter learned an aspect of humility here that he did not know before, and the Lord taught it to him that he might be more useful to others. So love to Christ is what energizes and stimulates us 
in our love to one another as well. Love to Christ must be there first if we are to love others. John says, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, whoever loves the father loves the child who is born of him. Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 34, he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So love to Christ is first, and then out of that flows love to one another in the Christian life. If we are lacking in our love to one another, then this is the source of it. Our, we have lost, perhaps, our love to the Lord Jesus Christ. If anything is wrong in the Christian life, this is perhaps the source of it all, that we have lost our love to Christ. If we find ourselves entangled in sins that we cannot shake, if we find ourselves without proper love, without proper service, without proper witnessing, without doing the will of God in some area of life, then this is really where we should look. Do we have love for Christ as we should? And if we find that we do not, what do we do? We go to the Lord Jesus and ask him to give it to us. He would not wish for us to be without this love. He knows that in our hearts, by our hearts, natively, by, from ourselves, we cannot find this love to him from ourselves. We love him because he first loved us. And so he will love us again. And so we must go to him and ask him, Lord Jesus, send to us the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love first. The fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of love who comes and puts love in our hearts. Love for Christ and love for one another and delight in doing his will. So we must go to him and ask him, Lord Jesus, revive me according to thy word and come and put this love in me, love for you, that I might serve you and do your will. Let's pray together. Father and gracious God in heaven, we do thank you for the merciful, gentle Savior that you have given to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that he does not take lightly our sins, and he will reprove us and correct us, and yet he will always restore us and have mercy upon us. Lord Jesus, do your work in us as you did with Peter and make us those disciples who love you above all else and who are out of that love willing to serve you, to obey you and to do your will in all things. And Lord, where we have gone astray, correct us and bring us back. Give us light and understanding that we might walk faithfully with you we might be in the light as you yourself are in the light. And we thank you now, pray you would bless your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen.